All right, welcome back. My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host for the Post Money Plan podcast. As always, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge. So my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought on topics within personal finance, economics, and investing. Don't forget, you can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. We're continuing the discussion on car repair from last week. I have my cousin Andy and my dad on the podcast with me still. In the first part, we cover the things that go bad with your car, preventive maintenance, really expensive things to fix, what you might be able to do yourself. This time in the second half, we can cover top recommendations to save money on car repairs and how to decide whether it's better to pour money into repairs or just go ahead and get a new car. I'll go ahead and kick it over to my dad. Andy, imagine that you're talking to one of your nieces or one of your cousins and they ask you for the top two or three things that they could do or have done by their mechanic that might save them headaches or money on car maintenance first thing would be having a mechanic you can trust is a big deal and change your oil change it religiously read your owner's manual it does not take long and it's a lot of information on the very things that you can do as far as depending on your driving where in the country you are there are different maintenance schedules for those things So not just having the right mechanic, but even arming yourself with knowledge, which you don't necessarily have to know every detail about a car, but just reading your owner's manual and knowing like, okay, I'm supposed to change my oil every 5,000 miles. And I know it takes this type of oil and making sure that you you trust the person that's doing it and knowing like, okay, I'm coming up on a hundred thousand miles. What should I service? Should I do? Is that when plugs are due? And with getting the best kind of fuel economy. I'm sorry, Andy, I want to jump in on you just to make sure to re-mention something real important you just hit on a couple of times there. You were talking about reading your owner's manual, and then later on you said about service points. What I want to emphasize, which you covered, but I want to re-emphasize it, is that in your owner's manual, almost every manual I've ever seen has at 7,500 miles do this, at 15,000 miles do this, at 30,000 miles do this. And what you're saying is pay attention to those. Right. So what I have so far, you're saying have a trustworthy mechanic that you can go to when you have questions or need a checkup on something. Read your owner's manual and be aware of routine maintenance that should be done change your oil regularly so that you don't run low on the oil. What other things are we missing here? You know, even checking your tire pressures when you're filling up at the the gas station. All it takes is just, hmm, you know what, that tire looks a little different than that one. Something as simple as a tire running underinflated, and I'm not talking about almost out of air, just it calls for 36 PSI, and you're running it at 25 that's going to wear your tires out prematurely and running a tire really low on air. You want to have that tire checked to make sure that the sidewall doesn't get compromised when a tire has been driven or ran flat, even just a very short, short distance. We call it at work, the ring of death because it will chew up the inside of the sidewall on the tire. If I put too much air in my tire, will I wear out the center of the tire? 
Absolutely. Yep. Typical signs of uh, an overinflated tire is the center is going to be worn out. An underinflated tire, the inner and outer edges will be worn. And also bear in mind that usually you want to check your tires cold because the pressures will increase with heat. So it's just very simple things that can be done that could avoid an awful lot of money. And with some of these cars nowadays, uh, that tire might not be too cheap on a 22-inch wheel. Those can be pretty expensive. Well, just as much as the money is the inconvenience of getting left on the highway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And always, before any kind of trip or regularly, which if you have your car serviced when the oil's changed, check the spare tire pressure too, because you don't want to get that flat tire and put your spare on and then that's flat. So, you know, if you could avoid having to have a tow truck come out or somebody to come out and fill up your spare, that's a big deal. Okay, so one of the things I'm hearing out of this is that cars are becoming more and more computerized nowadays. So a lot of the problems you're going to be able to diagnose via computer and not as an individual doing it yourself probably, but at least taking it into the shop and then they'll be able to figure it out through the computer systems, which is taking a little bit of the do-it-yourself aspect to it out of play. Like it's not quite as easy to do anymore. But let's say you have a car where the like routine maintenance notification comes on. It's likely change oil soon. either like, like change oil soon or routine maintenance. What is the first thing that people should be doing in terms of a cost basis? Because I think a lot of times people can be kind of afraid by the inconvenience and the cost of it's just like, oh, maybe there's nothing wrong. You know, people can kind of hope that. So if routine maintenance or check engine light comes on where you're not told any more information than that, like what is your recommendation? Here's the golden rule. If the check engine light is flashing, don't keep driving your car. When it's flashing, it's because there is what's called a dead misfire, which means the cylinder is not firing and you're pumping raw fuel because it's not being ignited into your exhaust and that fuel will then ignite in your catalytic converter because your cat's hot enough to ignite unburned fuel and it will overheat your catalytic converter and then you have a failure of your cat which if that's out of warranty can be very expensive to fix so as far as like a check engine light just remember if it's flashing shut it off If it stays on solid and you don't really notice any difference in the way the car is running or how it feels, at that point, you know, I wouldn't let it go on forever. But that's where there's an issue that the computer saw something is outside of its parameter. And it could be something as simple as a loose gas cap that maybe you didn't tighten the whole way when you filled up with gas. Or it could be, you know, a costly repair, hopefully not. But there are places your advanced autos and stuff like that, where they will plug in a a scan tool, a handheld code reader, and can pull a code out and have suggested fixes. I mean, I would use that only as a basis of getting your light checked out and at least having an idea of like, okay, it has a code for an O2 sensor. I wouldn't just say, okay, I need an O2 sensor and take it to the dealership and say, well, they scanned it and said it needs an O2. It very well could be that, but that's one way where you could possibly get a free, not real diagnosis, but at least an idea of, okay, this is what it potentially could be. And even using things such as the internet to research. Again, you hit on something really good there. The advanced autos, 
when you say advanced auto, what you're, you're talking about is an auto parts supply outfit, and they have a service that they're willing to provide for you that will test the computer so that it scans and tells you what the computer is telling you the error is. Right. And a lot of times they'll do that for free. So, so, so then people shouldn't be afraid of, at least, like if the check engine light comes on, they shouldn't have to be afraid to go in and just get it checked out? Right. I mean, typically the shop will have an open diagnosis charge, X amount of dollars, gets you an hour of diagnosis. If it is something that would take longer than that, they would call you and say, okay, we have this code, we've checked this. We think it's leading up to this. We need a little bit more time to confirm exactly what this is. So don't be afraid to maybe go to your dealership and, and say, okay, my check engine light's on. What is your charge for diagnosis? And knowing what the labor rate is, even the whole part of taking it to like an advanced auto. I mean, I'm not recommending that everybody go there and, and have your car scanned. But if you're changing your own oil and your check engine light's been on for a while, you know, a lot of times you can say, hey, uh, my check engine light's been on. Um, you guys scan it. And at least you can kind of, you know, if you can get a, a code and do a little research yourself. And sometimes you might see like, oh, yeah, I had that code and 10,000 people said this is what I did and it fixed it. This code, oh, nine times out of 10, that's what it is. And you can gamble. It's not too technologically involved or you don't really need special tools to do it. And you know someone, sure, have them do it. Or you could take it to the dealer and you could say, look, this code, I did some research. Um, I'm fairly confident it's this. I'd like to have this part. Could you give me a price on this part and have it installed? And what would that cost me? But bear in mind, if you're going to kind of make your own diagnosis, most shops, then if it doesn't fix the problem because you said, I want this part put on and it doesn't fix it, they're not going to necessarily stand by that because it wasn't their diagnosis. A little trick that I used when I was buying my car was I went out to Walmart and bought my own diagnostic tool just because when I was shopping around for used cars, I didn't want to be buying a car where they had cut the wires to the check engine light or something like that. And that way I could plug the diagnostic tool into the computer. There's the connection that's under the steering wheel in most cars. And then you can just use that reader to look up if there's any uh, codes that'll give you on any warnings that are coming up. That's kind of like an easy way for even someone who doesn't really know much to uh, just have that little tool, which you could buy for like 20 or 40 bucks. And that could save you those trips for the check just to at least diagnose like minor things on your own. They even have ones that are wireless and will pair up to your cell phone. In a sense, you're turning your cell phone into a code reader, which is pretty cool. What would you have to buy for that? It's the connector that fits into your, that's called an OBD2 connector, the one under the steering wheel or on the left-hand side. And you download an app for that on your phone, and it connects Bluetooth to your phone, and you can scan codes with it. I think I got one for, it might have been like maybe around 50 bucks or something like that. Take it with you on vacation, just in case you have a light that pops on and you know, you're in an area where you don't know, and at least that way, uh, if you take it to the closest shop possible, and they tell you something completely different than what you got, you know, you kind of to make sure that, that you're not getting, uh, somebody's telling you something's wrong that, that isn't because they know you're, you're from out of town and you're in a bad situation. And unfortunately, there are people out there like that that'll take advantage of situations like that. Just kind of a way to be like, no, wait a minute, I, I know what code's in that car. You're not telling me anything about that, and you're saying it's this, and 
So there are ways to, without having to know, you don't need to know everything, but just a little bit can go a long way just to protect yourself and protect your car, your investment. So another thing that I've started doing is just keeping a spreadsheet of the car maintenance that I do on my cars. So I just know like the date and what's been done and the cost. And that way I have a record of, of what's been done and, and don't have to be like, oh, I know at some point I did this, but I can't really remember. I have just one spreadsheet that I can go to, and that way I know like when the oil was changed, when I changed the flat tire, that kind of stuff, and have that record that's easy to refer to. So I, I think that's something that doesn't take much effort that can uh, keep you on top of things and, and know what's what with your car. Right. You know, and even if, if you take it to the same repair facility, everybody's computerized, and you could always uh, go there and say, hey, could you just give me a, a printout, some of my, like, my invoices, just so I get back on track and know exactly what I had, what I was doing. If you haven't kept a spreadsheet or something like that, you can always usually go back to where you had it serviced and just get a reprint of your invoice and kind of know, you know, oh, what were my brakes at when I got it inspected? And, you know, last year you told me my brakes were at 10 bombs which was like new and now you're telling me i need them and i only put 5,000 miles on it and i never go through brakes that fast and don't be afraid if you're sitting in a shop and they tell you you need something that do you mind if i come up and and you show me what you're what you're saying is bad what needs to be replaced and why and it doesn't hurt an honest mechanical i have no problem doing that for you if you aren't ripping people off you have nothing to hide when i have a, a list of things that need to be done you know, I have no problem bringing the customer on up, showing them, saying, you know, you don't necessarily need to do all this now. You can chip away at it. I would take care of these items first or probably what you want to take care of. I would take care of as soon as possible. These other ones, you know what, maybe your next oil change or the one after, you know, you could maybe start just chipping away at some of these things. And obviously the safety things would be number one priority, but Honest, good, straightforward mechanics will be that way with you and not be afraid to say, yeah, sure, come on back, I'll show you. Is there some method that people might be able to use in picking out a mechanic? Everybody hears about the guy who rips them off, but how do we find the guy who is reliable, who they can trust? How does a person look for that person? Well... Hopefully, uh, an older family member that knows of a reputable shop. I'm obviously going online. Everybody's filling out surveys and things like that. So you can go online and, and do research that way. But a lot of times it's word of mouth and maybe some trial and error too. You know, I took my car there and these guys couldn't fix it. I spent a thousand bucks. It still wasn't fixed. And they said they weren't going to do anything for me. And then I found this guy and he, he knew right away what it was. And it was a hundred bucks and, and I was good. Well, that might be the guy that you might want to take your car to from now on. So sometimes it's uh, just going through your own live and learn experiences. But like I said, if if you have a family member, hey, dad, where do you take your car to? And I mean, if you're still in the same area, but um, I had my brother come up from Virginia last weekend to work on his car, fixing air conditioning. And um, he is new to the area in Virginia and he looked up some shops and tried to go with the most reputable one that had good reviews and ratings. And not that they misdiagnosed it, but there was something that I found that they missed that probably should have caught for what they charged him for diagnosis and we all make mistakes but 
sometimes it might pay to travel a little bit. If you know somebody, you can get there. And, and uh, they quoted my brother like 600 some dollars and I was able to get the parts cheaper because obviously working at, at a dealership, but it was like 600 some bucks they wanted to charge him and I fixed it for 175. So nice to see. Family, family discount. Yeah. Let me switch it over to you, Dad. How have you decided to do repairs and preventative maintenance and those kind of things based on cost and cost versus what it would be worth to you? And what has been some of the decision-making process in deciding, okay, I've run my car as much as it's worth running and it's got too much to repair now. Like It's not worth putting more money into it. I should just get a new car. Talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yeah, basically early on in my life, my decisions were basically I was trying to be a cheapster and get by with the cheapest car I could possibly get and not do any repairs that I absolutely didn't have to. And I found out the hard way that penny pinching was not always the most economical thing to do in the long run, as exemplified by my oil issue that I told you running the engine out of oil. Basically, I try to use common sense in evaluating, imagining a scale in your left and right hand, and the existing car has a certain weight or balance to it, and it needs repair X. Now, when you put repair X in, repair X is going to cost $3,000. So is my car with this repair worth more to me than simply getting what I can out of the car and buying a replacement vehicle? I just want to jump in here and say, I think we should clarify, though, that part of the decision-making process is going to be if you're repairing it based on utility or for resale value. The decision-making process is going to be a little bit different because if you're doing it just for utility, you can run a car for a long time where it just would not sell for very much later, but it's still usable. And so there's times where if you're just doing it for your own utility and you're not going to be able to resell it later, you can make you know certain repairs that'll keep it going and you can be good to run it, but no one else is going to buy it. But if you're uh, putting money into a car to resell it, then the decision-making is going to be a little bit different, right? Yes. In my case, I have almost exclusively been thinking in terms of getting utility out of the vehicle. I basically see spending money on a car as a loss. There are some exceptions to this, but... Let me just jump in here again to make this financial point. Cars are not like houses. Houses you expect to buy and to have them appreciate over time. But when you buy a car, you expect it to depreciate over time and it's going to lose value, almost guaranteed, unless it's a collector's item. So that is a big influence on the financial decision-making process in what you're doing with a car and gives you more incentive to try to use a car for utility rather than for resale. Yes, and, and I guess um, in large part, in my case, I have either moved geographically to such a remote location from where I had previously come and had to dispose of cars simply because I couldn't haul them 8,000 miles, or uh, the other case where the car has gotten so rusted out or old, I've used the utility to the point where I simply want one that's newer and, and doesn't have a hole in the floorboard. 
So that was a lot of my decision-making on, on getting a new vehicle. But basically, my goal has been to get pretty much the last mile out of the vehicle each time I purchase it. My assumption when I buy a vehicle is that it will be sent to the dump when I'm finished with it. I don't actually try to do that, but that is the way I approach my financial decision-making. So what's the point in time where, based on that approach, what is the point in time where you say, okay, this car needs to go and I need to get a new one? Unfortunately, I've been a little bit arbitrary in that, but basically it comes to a point where the repair outweighs the value of the vehicle. In other words, you put a new long block in a car or a new differential or a new transmission, you're essentially buying a new car. So is this old car that's otherwise old, except for this one new part, new assembly you're putting in, is it worth more to you than simply saying, okay, I'm going to sell this to a auction yard or somebody to get rid of this old piece of junk, and I'm going to go buy something newer or new to me to replace it with. If the repair costs outweigh that, that's my decision tipping point. And that's how insurance companies look at it, and that's how they tell you that a car, your car is totaled or considered a total loss, is like what happened with my car. I was in a car accident back a month ago, and I talked to the insurance company. They tell me to go take it to a repair shop. The repair shop looks at it, and they estimate how much it would cost to repair the damages, and then they tell that to the insurance company, and then the insurance company looks up the estimated value for the car, and they say, hmm, okay, if it's more expensive to do the repairs than the value of the car, we'll consider it a total loss, and we'll cut you a check for the estimated value of the car, because they don't want to pay more than that, obviously. And it's the same case for you as an individual. If you had some kind of repairs that were going to cost more than the value of the car, that might be a point in time where you considered going out to get a new one. There are some exceptions to that. I'll give you a recent example that comes to mind, and I think Andy can edify this a little bit more. In our area, not too long ago, we had a hailstorm, and a hailstorm did damage to a lot of vehicles that were sitting out. But that was superficial damage. It did not affect the functionality of the vehicle. So when it came time for an insurance evaluation, they wanted to total out a large portion of those vehicles. And from their standpoint, I understand why. From my standpoint as a user, the functionality of that vehicle is still there. So if I happen to not be bothered by the pings, the dents that are created by hail, I might want to keep that vehicle because it's fully functional as far as I'm concerned, but it's not beautiful. That is exactly what I did with my Jeep. They wanted to total it from that hailstorm you were talking about, and it was all cosmetic. No windows broke, nothing, and I don't really care about the little dents, like you said. And I went through the process, and I bought it back. And the worst part about it is my car technically has a salvage title now. And really, it had nothing to do, or a reconstructed title. And it had nothing to do with, nothing was done to the car, other than it got some dents and dings. And it kind of stinks, uh, but I know from working on cars, with warranty, how they make decisions on whether or not to repair or replace an engine or transmission 
we go through a cost cap process. If the cost to repair it is over 70% of the price of a new transmission or engine, if it's over 70%, then we replace it. Even in the grand scheme of things, I think you could use that in other ways as far as deciding on whether or not, well, my car is worth $5,000, but do I want to put 4000 into it to put an engine into it? It's kind of one of those things where if you wanted to gauge it, I mean, that's what we do at work is if the rule of thumb is if the repairing is over 70% of the cost to replace, it gets replaced from the manufacturer's standpoint, usually. So that's one thing that we use at work with determining stuff like that. So we're running kind of long. I want to go ahead and wrap it up. Are there any last things or things that we missed that either of you wanted to touch on? If you're going to be buying a used car and it's through a dealership or a used car outfit and they try to sell you a warranty, an aftermarket warranty, take the time to focus and pay attention on what warranty they're selling you because there are many different kinds. There are some that are quote-unquote bumper-to-bumper extended warranties, which cost a lot of money, but far too often people spend a couple thousand dollars on a warranty and they don't realize what's actually covered and what's not covered. And they end up having to pay for a costly repair or something that costs a significant amount of money that they thought they were buying a warranty and cover that, and it's not. You have base warranties, you have powertrain warranties, you have premium warranties, you know, so don't just take a salesman's word for, oh yeah, buy this service contract, it's bumper to bumper. Really, it's not bumper to bumper. It might just cover internal engine parts and your starter goes bad and it costs 700 bucks to parts and labor to put a starter in and it's not covered. Well, what do you mean? Well, your contract only covers internal lubricated components And if you're unsure, ask questions, call somebody, Google it. If you know anybody that has knowledge on cars and, hey, they're telling me this warranty covers my pistons, my head gasket, but even just read through that fine print and see what it excludes and what it includes and make a decision because you don't want to spend 3,500 bucks on a warranty and think you're getting more covered than what you actually are. So that's a big thing I see nowadays. All right. Anything else? I guess I would uh, like to repeat a couple of things, not add things, but just repeat. The first being, don't pinch the last penny. By that, I mean, I cost myself lots of money, lots of headaches, lots of left sitting on the middle of the road at night in the rain by trying to pinch the last penny on spending stuff. So go ahead and change the oil. And if it says change the oil at 7,500 miles and you're, you've got the car in for inspection and it's got 6,000 miles on it, go ahead and get the oil changed, that type of thing. The second thing I would like to reemphasize is do the routine fluids checks and belt and hose checks. Pick a time, you know, once a month, once a quarter, something. Just open the hood, look at the car, look at your fluid levels, look at your hoses, look at your belts. And if you see something that looks obvious and you don't know enough, take it to a shop, have them look at it. All right. I want to thank you both for coming on and sharing. Sure, no problem. You're welcome. Don't forget you can find us at postmoneyplan.com and subscribe to the Post Money Plan channel in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast. 